right, let me get the recording going. So that idea was what we talked about last week with how to neighbor. Because Jesus was teaching, it's not for you and I to look around and say, who is my neighbor? It's for us to look at ourselves and say, how can I be a neighbor? And what I'd like you to do is I would like you to expand that out and just think of it not just as an individual, but think of it as a church. Because what do we do as a group? You know, when we think about who we are and what we are as a church, that's it. We're supposed to be the neighbor. We're supposed to be the group of people that's not afraid to go jump in the ditch with someone who's been beaten up and battered and thrown away and left for dead. We're supposed to be the people that'll go there, that'll get there, that'll stay there, that'll offer whatever help we can to a person like that. And then, you know, no strings attached. We just love you and we want the best for you and, and may God help you but we're not afraid to go there and get there. That's what it means to be a neighbor. And so I'm going to start today reading a series of of texts in the book of Acts. And what I think you'll see is that the church, when it first started, when the church was born in the first century, and as it began to move out over the first few decades, that's what the church was. That's how the church functioned. The church was the neighbor. It wasn't looking around saying, you know, who's my neighbor, but, but how can I be a neighbor? And, and it's so interesting when you start looking in the book of Acts and you see how each little congregation is born, how each one starts. I mean, the church at Ephesus, the one that you read about in Revelation, the very first church that Jesus addressed in Revelation and had so many things to say, so many good things to say about, a few that were not so good, but mostly good things to say about, that church was born because the Apostle Paul and his uh, ministry buddies, they just went out along the side of a river where they thought, you know, maybe we can pray here and there'll just be a little place to gather. And they met a woman named Lydia there and they started talking to her about what they were doing in town. Next thing you know, Lydia has come to faith in Christ. Her family comes to faith in Christ. It all just kind of gets started from there. Paul and his buddies wind up in jail. I mean, things that are not just, it's not all up and up, but the church in Ephesus was born like that. That's how it was born. And as we go through the book of Acts and just kind of look at these things, that's what I think you'll see. I think you'll see how the church is the neighbor. Wherever they go, whatever they're doing, whatever town, whatever community, that's what they're doing. But this is the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, okay? The very beginning. And if you've never read this, never studied this before, you know, you look in most any Bible, it's going to say the day of Pentecost, okay? So that's what it is. It's the day... If you just want to understand it, this is the day when the church became um, a spiritual thing. I think that's the best way I want to describe it. It's the day when a group of people who believed in Jesus became empowered by Jesus. That's the day of Pentecost. It's the day when that spiritual component, the way Jesus described it, I mean, they all believed in him already. They, They were already followers. If you said to them, you know, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yes. We, do you think he's risen from the dead? They would say, yes, he's risen from the dead. But they were waiting for something. They were waiting for something he had promised. And this is the day that it happened. It's called the day of Pentecost. So it, it's, a, it's a time marker. It's a 50-day mark. A 50-day mark. From the time Jesus died and rose again 50 days later. So this is what it says. I'm just going to read four verses. When the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place. This is about 120 or so people who believe in him. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. 
and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And you have ensured that this story was recorded, that it was written down, that it was passed down, that we have it today in the form of our Bible, and that we can read it as your people and look back on it and learn from it even now. So in these next few moments, as we think about what happened on the day the church was born, would you speak to us? Give us insight to our own lives and to us as a church, as a group. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now... Just pretend with me for a moment that you had never read that. And maybe it may, it may be that somebody's here and you're going, I've never heard that before. What in the world did he just read? Is, was that the Bible, really? But I, I just want you to pretend that you've never heard that before. That you've never heard anything like that. And, and what I just read was, there's a group of people. And they're in a room. And they're waiting for something. We don't know what. And then suddenly there's something, it sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Suddenly there's some wind blowing and it's, it's kind of strong and violent. It gets everybody's attention. And then these things appear. They look like tongues of fire. They look like flames. And I imagine that they were just in the air. You know, they just, they were just there. And, and it says that they distributed themselves. They, they kind of spread around. They went to every person. Doesn't that sound like a movie? Somebody needs to make a movie about that. But these, these tongues of fire, these, these flames of fire that are just in the room, all of a sudden they, they just kind of spread out on every person and something happened to every person in that moment. And the scripture just defines it as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the moment when they went from, from being just people who, who, who said, you know, I believe in Jesus and, and I know he rose from the dead. They became empowered by him, by his spirit. And he had promised this. He had told them, he said, you wait in Jerusalem. You wait here until the promise is fulfilled. You wait here until this, this power from on high comes to you. Don't leave town. Stay here. Do this, and you'll see what I mean. Because I guess not even Jesus could fully explain that. What he was about to do in their lives, what he was about to bring about in their lives, maybe there were no words for it. And frankly, aren't there many things in life that are better experienced than explained? Like you can do, I'm doing my best to try to describe what happened, but you know, the truth is you would have just had to be there. You would just need to know what it, what it's about as a Christian today to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Now I need to pause for a moment and clarify something because I don't want to weird anybody out. Okay. We're not waiting for tongues of fire to come in this room today. You know, uh, you're not holding out for that because let me tell you how it works from that moment when that first happened in Acts chapter 2 until this moment, every person, the moment they believe in Jesus, the scripture says they have the Holy Spirit. So that's what, that's what makes you truly a believer these days. You're not waiting for a second thing. And, and I know there are churches that teach that, and some of you may have heard that in the past, and I don't want to confuse anybody. But there are groups out there that, that what they'll teach is you believe here, timeline, and then somewhere down in the future, you receive the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And usually they attach some kind of sign to that, like you're reading in Acts chapter two. They say, well, if you, if you speak in tongues, that's when you have the, the Holy Spirit. And they see it as a two-part event, okay? So that's not what I'm teaching you. That's not what I'm saying, because this is what I know. 
From that moment to this moment, every person who believes in Jesus, the moment you truly trust in him, you receive his Holy Spirit then. You, you may not feel like it was just like the greatest experience of my life, like I just can't uh, imagine you know, something like Acts chapter two. That might not have been your experience, but the moment you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. So this is what happened to you the moment you believed. Prior to that moment, you were spiritually dead, meaning you were cut off from God. And you knew about God, maybe you talked about God, you thought about God, maybe you thought really well of God and Jesus and all of those things, but you had no real relationship with him. You had no real power from him. But the moment you trusted in him, the moment you believed something happened, you went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. All of a sudden, you had an awareness of God that you didn't have before. All of a sudden, you had a, a sense within you that you could talk to God or hear from God, any of those things. You, you didn't have that before, but now you do. And it's because in a spiritual way, something like a resurrection happened inside of you. You were dead and you came alive. I mean, when people who don't have a church background ask me about what it is to be a Christian, I never talk to them about doctrine. I could, but I never do. Like, I don't try to explain the Christian faith as, here are these 10 things that I believe. Here, here are a list of doctrines. Or go read the Baptist faith, the message. That's what's being a Christian. I never do that. What I try to explain to people is, there was a time in my life when I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And then one day I did. I came alive. That, that, that's my way of describing it. I came alive. I, there was something that wasn't there, and all of a sudden it was. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the spiritual resurrection that happens. Now, in Acts chapter 2, there was a special thing that happened there, and everybody began to speak in other languages. Well, that doesn't happen to most people. You may know some people that they have that gift. And by the way, the New Testament does speak of a spiritual gift of tongues. And it gives people an ability to speak in a language that, that they don't know natively, okay? So that is a spiritual gift, and I don't back away from that whatsoever. That's in the Bible, and it's taught. In fact, it's even explained in the Bible that if you practice that in a worship setting, uh, someone should always interpret. Otherwise, we shouldn't do it because it leads to confusion. You know, if one of you stood up and said, I got a message from the Lord, and you started talking in some other language, and then you sat down, we'd all look around like, what did they say? You know, that, so the Bible makes it clear. If someone's going to use that gift, if they have that gift and they use that gift, there must also be some interpretation. And there is a gift of interpretation as well. Okay? So that's just the way the Bible teaches it, and it's the way I've always practiced it. But I'm saying to you that you don't have to have that kind of experience to know that you have the Holy Spirit. You know you have the Holy Spirit because of your awareness of God, because of your love for God, because of the way he caused you to come alive. And you may put it in different words, you may explain it a different way, but that's how you know it. And, and let me give you this, because this is the way Jesus said it in Acts chapter one. He said, you will be my witnesses when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So you shall be my witnesses, and he puts witness and power together. And you say, I don't, I don't know. I'm not real sure what that means. Well, it doesn't mean that your life is just better than everybody else's. It doesn't mean that you're just happier than everybody else. It doesn't mean that if you measured your life by your neighbor's life, that your life would come out morally higher than theirs. That's not what it means at all. In fact, it can be the exact opposite. Sometimes your most powerful witness is in your weakest moment of life. Because that's when God holds you up. That's when he sustains you. Where some of you, I mean, I know some of you had to be here. But we did a series a while back where one of the things we talked about was, you know, uh, 
would God ever give you more than you can handle? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he will certainly allow you to have, because people want to say, no, no, God will never put on me more than I can handle. Not true. What he promised is he'll never allow you to face a temptation that you can't escape from without giving you a way out. He'll either give you the ability to withstand that temptation or he'll give you an exit door. That's his promise, okay? But don't ever take that promise to mean God will never give me more than I can handle. Look, life will devastate you sometimes. You'll have more than you can handle. And, and what, what occurs in those moments is you find out wh where your foundation is. Where's the rock that you stand on? And that's Jesus Christ. So if you're, if you're here today and you can say, well, you know, I'm right on that edge, you know, like I just don't know if I can take any more or whatever. I've got way more than I can handle. Then, you know, what that does for you is it means you get to exclude a bunch of stuff. Throw all the garbage out of your life, exclude all that, and just stand on the one who is truly your foundation. That's the rock of Jesus Christ. And by the way, isn't that what pain does? Pain is the great excluder. It takes all the other things that are unimportant in your life and you forget about them. You know, that's what pain does. So if it's physical pain, emotional pain, whatever it is, when you're going through pain, you don't care about the other stuff. You just don't care about that. And that's, that's when you get down to what really matters. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. Now, if you have his spirit living within you, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what you have, his spirit, and he's your foundation. And, and you may try to stand on other things in your life. You may try to rest on other things. They may work for you for a while, but at some point, all that gets stripped away. Happens to everybody, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be a good pastor to you if I didn't tell you the truth. You can go a long time letting other things kind of hold the weight in your life, but at some point, it all gets stripped away happens to all of us. Now, let's look at the scripture again, because there are four things I want to bring out to you. I know y'all are thinking, when's he going to get around to that? You know, four things I want to bring out to you. If you're going to neighbor, if you're going to break out of this mold of just doing things the way I've always done it, then, then look at these four things that happen, four kind of dynamics, because everyone in that room that day would be able to look back to what happened. They would learn from that. They would know what occurred. And this kind of thing would get repeated for them over and over again. Not the tongues of fire and the speaking in unknown tongues. That wouldn't happen again. But the kind of dynamic that occurred on that day, that's what was going to carry them through the rest of their days as they served the Lord. Okay. So here are the four things. In verse one, wait, don't worry. If you take notes, just write it down. I didn't have a, a way to put it up on the screen for you tonight, today, but this is it. Wait, don't worry. When I wrote it down, I wrote, wait, comma, don't worry. Now, here, here's where I'm getting that. Jesus rose from the dead, and these people got to see him. Like in the flesh, like there he is. This is the guy they put on the cross. He was... Uh, killed. They took him down from the cross. They put him in a grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he's standing right here today. How about that? Like they got to see the resurrected Jesus. He stayed in town for 40 days, 40 days. When you're reading Acts chapter one, that's it. And at the end of 40 days, he said, okay, guys, it's time for me to go. I know I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. I got to go. And so they go out to this special place and, and literally he just rises up and disappears into the sky. And if that sounds like a movie to you, I don't know. That's just what it is. That's what the Bible says. At the end of those 40 days, he ascended to heaven. And they were doing what you and I would do. They were just standing there looking up at the clouds. 
Like what just happened, right? And so if it can't get any better, an angel shows up. He wasn't there before. They didn't see the angel before, but the angel shows up and the angel says, why are you looking up into the clouds? Jesus, who went away that way, one day he's going to come back. Very same way you saw him go, he's going to come back. So go into Jerusalem and wait. Ten more days they waited. So it was 40 days he ascended, but on the day of Pentecost, remember that's what verse 1 says, on the day of Pentecost this happened. So they waited for 10 days. Some of us can't wait 10 minutes before we lose our mind, you know. You just kind of get bent out of shape if you have to wait for anything. You grab your phone and you start to look something up, and if that page doesn't load in like three seconds, you're gone, right? You go somewhere else. If you have to call and they put you on hold, you're like, okay, I'll be on hold for a minute. After about 60 seconds, you'll hang up. You won't, I mean, you might call back or something. I mean, that, that's how we are, right? We don't want to wait. 40 days, they got to see Jesus. He left and he said, wait. So if I'm them, I'm like, when's day three? Because that seems to be the thing. Day three, you know, that's going to be the big day. Well, day three came and went and they're still waiting. Then day four, then day five. You know, somewhere around day six, they probably got tired of looking at each other, right? Everybody goes home at night. You come back the next day. We pray. We wait. Nothing. We're just waiting. Thankfully, it was only a 10-day wait, okay? It was only a 10-day wait. But my point is they had to wait. They could have just sat there and worried. And, and, you know, the Bible doesn't say what they actually did. We know they were praying. I'm sure they were talking to one another. But it doesn't give us the details. The point is they had to wait for 10 more days. And if you've ever found yourself kind of in a holding pattern in your faith, this is the verse to go to. When the church was born, they had to wait. They just had to wait. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know. First church I ever served in was in Delville, Alabama. And uh, the pastor I served with was James Kilpatrick. And I love James. And James was, was doing his best to kind of you know, lead and, and be a good pastor to the church. And, and I knew he was going through a hard time. And he called me to his office uh, on a Sunday afternoon. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell the church tonight. And he told me, and I said, all right, okay. And so he got up to preach that night, pretty good crowd that evening for the church. Um, they knew he was going to share some news. Some of them probably thought he was going to resign or something, you know, so more people showed up for that. And, uh, but he got up to, to speak and he said, he said this, this is my message from the Lord. All stop. All stop. We're doing all this stuff. We got all these things. We got it on the calendar, there's something every day. And we're just spinning our wheels and we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. So just all stop. And then when he got through, someone said, well, okay, well, pastor, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to wait. <laughs> we're going to wait. You know? And uh, so that was kind of my experience, you know, as a, as a minister serving along this pastor and just kind of, he'd been in the ministry a lot longer than me and I was just kind of learning from him. And, and that's what we did as a church. Everything stopped. We didn't have anything on Monday night. We didn't have anything on Wednesday night. We didn't have anything on Thursday night. We didn't do anything Sunday afternoons. I mean, we just, everything just stopped. And, and, and we just asked everyone to pray and wait and let the Lord lead us. So what I want to say to you is that may apply in your individual life. You may be in a 
a position right now where you just need to wait. There's no clear direction from God. There's no clear indication of the direction you should go or what you should be doing. And I just want you to know waiting's okay. And for us as a church, that's kind of where we are right now. You know, each person, you know, you have some things to do in your service to the Lord. But as a group right now, we're, we're in that waiting period. We're going to wait. And as the Lord gives us clear direction about what to do next, we'll do it. What I would really like for you to do, if you came here today and you carry kind of a burden as far as this church goes, I would really like for you to just be able to let that go. We're all right. It's time to wait. It's time to wait. We don't, we don't have to put a pressure on ourselves as a church that, that's not from God. Does that make sense? We don't have to show up thinking, well, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, all this activity. Let's plan something. Let's put something. People get these ideas, right? I'm, I'm one of the worst at doing that. But I'm saying to you, if it's time to wait, it's time to wait. Because here's what I know. Because I love you people. And you trust me and I trust you. As the Lord begins to speak about the next steps for us, we're going to know it. I don't mean I'm going to know it and I'll tell you. I mean, we're going to know it. Because the same spirit that's in me is in you. And we'll know. So we do what we know to do. You know, we pray. We worship. We study the scripture. We love one another. We look around for whatever opportunities come up. And we wait until that happens. We wait. Now here's the second verse. And I'll just give you the statement first. So realize that power comes from heaven. So the first one is wait, don't worry. The second one is realize the power comes from heaven. So verse two says, suddenly there came a, from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and the whole place, the whole house where they were sitting was filled. Okay. So there was no doubt for anybody in that room that whatever just happened came from God. They knew it wasn't Peter. They knew it wasn't one of the other apostles. They knew it wasn't a special group over here having prayer, and that's what led to it. They knew it wasn't anything like that. There was a wind. It came from outside of them, and for the rest of their lives, they would know that what happened on that day and the power they received, it came from heaven. It came from heaven. So, so here's the way we have to look at that. You and I, we don't have the ability we don't have the ideas. We don't have the, let's just even say it, the intelligence to figure it all out. We don't have that. Like we can't be smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, wise enough to change a single life. Does that make sense? If anyone's life is going to be changed, if, if anyone's going to go from death to life, if this church as a group is going to grow stronger spiritually and, and in number, if any of that's going to happen, it's going to happen because of the power that comes from heaven. It's not going to happen because we just got the smartest team of people around, right? And no, I'm not calling myself dumb. <laughs> I'm not calling anybody else dumb. I'm just saying the church has never been based on the abilities of man. It's always from day one been based on power that comes from heaven. And here's the fun thing about that. Uh, let me tell you this story. So I'm in a theology class and my professor who is now in heaven, it's more and more of my professors are in heaven these days. It was a long time ago. But Dr. Wiley Richards, this is what he told us. He said, guys, we're gonna have, he, he always said guys, even though we had ladies in our classes, I'm sorry, that's the way he did it. But he was a Navy guy, John. He said, guys, Next Thursday, I'm going to teach you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Walk in the power of God. Okay. I guess that sounds good. We'll do that. And then Friday, he'd say, no, next Thursday, I'm going to teach you how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, um, you can bring video cameras, whatever you want to do. He said, but just, you know, I don't want it to be any distraction. You know, it needs to be set up in the back. And, you know, he just started building this thing up. <laughs> like, what are we going to do next Thursday? What's going to happen? Next Thursday came. He walks around. He gives everybody a three-by-five note card. He assumed we would have a pen. That's his class. You better have something to take notes. But he gave us a three-by-five note card. And then he, he walked to the front, and he said, okay, here we go. And he had a short little prayer. When he finished the prayer, he said, I want you to write on that note card the sins you need to confess to God. Please don't look at your neighbors. Because you know, we're all sitting in the class like, oh. So he said, write those things down. He said, if you need more note cards, I have them. <laughs> Nobody got a new note card. And one was enough for everybody because they didn't want to write all this stuff down. But, but there was, his point was, there's probably something in your life you need to confess to God. There's probably something you should confess. So whatever's on your mind, write it down. So we did. We took just a few minutes. Everybody wrote it down. Then he took his card and he flipped it over. And he told us to do the same. And then he had us write, very simply, paid in full. Paid in full. And then he prayed a prayer and basically said this. Father, we confess our sins to you. We know that Jesus died for our sins and that he paid the penalty for our sins in full. And we thank you that we are forgiven. So we ask you now, fill us with your spirit empower us to serve you. Amen. That man closed his book and walked out. No questions, nothing. I mean, he was done. Class was over. That was it. That was Thursday. But he taught us a powerful lesson. You're not waiting for Acts chapter 2 to happen again. You don't need that to recur. You're not waiting for the wind to come swirl around the room and see something appear in the air. You're not waiting for that. It's about faith. He promised us his Holy Spirit. He promised us forgiveness through his death and resurrection. And when we receive that by faith and we just simply ask for it, then we know and believe that he's going to do it. And he always does. And if you'll accept this, this is what I'm saying. He always answers that prayer, even if you don't feel it. If it was a feeling, it wouldn't be faith. If you had to feel it in order for it to be real, it wouldn't be faith. Now, sometimes your faith has feelings attached to it. There are times when you feel a lot in your faith, but I'm telling you, faith is not the same thing as feeling. You, you don't have to have any feeling whatsoever for it to be faith. So this power that you need, it comes from heaven and you receive it by faith. And you say, but I need it. I want to feel it today. Well, I'm telling you, it'll be there when you need it and you might feel it, but you will feel it when you need it. That happens, but it always comes from heaven. So for us as a church, I don't want you ever to look around in the church and look at anybody in the church and say, we're dependent on you. Because if there's going to be anything eternally significant that happens, it will depend on the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Not you, not you, not me, but the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at the third verse. <clears throat> this is what verse three tells us. Prepare 
for everyone to be included. If you write everyone, just, you know, if you're taking notes, just underline that. Now beside it, maybe write your name. Prepare for everyone to be included. I know when we read this scripture, we want to think about the apostles. We want to think about Peter, James, John, or some of them. But what it says was, there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them. So the same thing that happened to Peter or James or John happened to this person over here that nobody knows their name today. Everybody in the room had this experience. Everyone. And when they left there, it would be everyone who would be ministering in his name. Everyone. So what does that say for us? It just means that's what we have to prepare for. We have to prepare for everyone to be included. Like I, I, I don't mind you calling me minister. I don't mind you calling me pastor. I get the Pastor Taylor thing all the time. Okay, But I never want you to think that I'm the minister and you're something else. Whatever you want to be. I want you to think of yourself as a minister. I want you to think of yourself as a person who is that, that witness that Acts chapter 1 talks about. You are that one who gives the testimony of the martyr's life to the world. That's you. And the same spirit that works in people like me who are called to do special things is the same spirit that works in you because you have your own special things that God has for you. And so what we need to do as a church is never have like a, a two-tier system where these are the people that minister and these are the rest, you know, the rest of us over here. We don't want to think about that. It's all just one level. The spirit is distributed to each one and he works through everyone. And I want you to be prepared to be included in that. If I could say it another way, it just means this. There is something for you to do. There's always something for you to do. And sitting it out is not it. Sitting it out is not it. Now, I can't tell you today, I mean, I have some ideas, but I can't tell you today exactly what that's going to look like for you. Just be prepared for everyone to be included. Now, that brings me to the fourth one. They're kind of tied together, okay? This is verse four. Here's the statement I would give with you, give to you from that. Expect different and more. So in verse four, this is what it says. They were all filled with the spirit and they all began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so everybody there did something they had never done before. I'm not telling you we're all going to speak in tongues. That's just, that's just the example, okay? The example is speaking in tongues. But the, if you back up a level, this is what it looks like. Everybody in that room just did something they had never done before. Everyone in that room did something that two days before that they had not dreamed about. They weren't thinking about that. They didn't even know it wasn't on their radar anywhere. And then it happened. So for you and I, we take a lesson out of that. What we can expect if we're going to be filled with the spirit and we're all going to serve him in the power of his spirit. If that's what we're looking at, then what we can expect is something different than we've done before and probably more than we've done before. Now, don't we call Jesus Lord? We do, right? I mean, when I pray, I pray, you know, I pray God, I pray Father, I pray Jesus. But I work that word in there regularly because he is Lord. If he's my Lord, my life belongs to him, right? That is one of the hardest truths for people who are people of faith to just soak in and settle in. Because this is what we want to do. We want to say, this is my life, and I'm adding in Jesus as Lord. This is my life, I'm adding in Jesus as Lord. It really doesn't work that way. 
Jesus is Lord, comes in, he takes over, and at that point, it's not my life anymore because he's the Lord. Does that, you see the difference there? He's not an add-on. He's not, he's, it's not, this is my already wonderful life, and I'm just going to include Jesus because that makes my life better. It's not that. If he's Lord, he takes over. Everything belongs to him. And if you want to just kind of talk about that in real terms, it means your dreams now belong to him. Your goals now belong to him. Your money now belongs to him. Your time now belongs to him. Every, he, he's the Lord. He can rearrange any and all of it. He can take you to places you've never been before. He can ask you to do things you've never done before. He'll give you the strength to get those done. He'll empower you for it. All that's true, but he'll take you and he'll do something with you that maybe two days ago was not on your radar. That's what I'm trying to say to you. You can expect different and more. Now, I hope I'm saying this in a way that at least makes you smile a little bit. I don't want to discourage you. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to think, ooh, I don't know what, that, I don't know what I'm about to get into. I want you to have a little bit of excitement about it because whatever it is he has for you, can I tell you it's exactly what you were made for? It's exactly what you were gifted for? It's exactly what he wants you to do? Like there's not a thing that you could be doing that's better than that thing. Because he made you. He knows everything about you. And so if, if he says, this is what I want you to do, this is the direction I want you to go. If that's what it is, then you can rest assured that it is exact. It, it was customized for you. Now, give me a moment. Every one of you sitting in this room today, you're here because you're supposed to be here. And we all came from really different directions. I mean, I'm just thinking about what I know about some of you. Some of you people, you're from Hastings, you know? You've been here a long time. Some of you were from Hastings, you moved away, now you're back. And then some of us, we're not from here at all. Like, I didn't even know Hastings was a spot on the map until I moved here. But here we are, right? We're all right here, right now, because God wants us to be here. I don't want you to look around and try to compare us to anybody else. This is what God put together. And if that's what God put together, then God has his plan for it. So we listen. So we wait. You know, we do all the things we just talked about. We wait. We realize the power comes from him. We're going to prepare for everybody to be involved. And we're going to expect that whatever it is, it's going to be different. And it's going to be more than what we've seen so far. That's the dynamic that's given to us in Acts chapter 2. And, and so I just want to put you in the same boat as all the people that were in that room on the day of Pentecost. Because once that happened for them, they had to go and do the things that Jesus had for them. And they would never be the same. And anytime they got tired... Anytime they got discouraged, anytime they got worn out, anytime they looked around and said, I'm just out of gas, they could go back and remember, how did this start? Oh, yeah, it started with us waiting. It started with a power that was outside of us, greater than us. And, and it really did include everybody. So it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not dependent on any one person. It took everybody. And my goodness, didn't he do something that we never expected? Something so different. That's what it looks like. So in just a few moments, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray. And I want you to have a few moments to respond. You know, it's just you as an individual to talk to God about these things. 
Anything he stirred in your mind, anything that's kind of in your spirit, just talk to God about that. And then I hope you'll have some excitement in your heart. Hope you'll have some peace in your heart. Because as far as I know, he still has never made a single mistake. He knows what he's doing. All right, stand with me. Father in heaven, we love you. You have been so good to us. God, you have brought us all here on this day, in this place, in this gym, for your purpose. We want to ask you, God, to take our lives and bring glory and honor to your name from it. We want to take everything about us, everything that you know anyone would describe and say, that's, that's him, that's her. We want to take all of that and just say, Lord, it, it's all yours. You can keep what you want to keep. You can have me change what you want me to change. You can take away what you want to take away. Lord, I just belong to you. Let that be our heart's cry today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.